You're now listening to The Nest on Tap, conversations to encourage parents to make informed choices about healthcare and to embrace parenting as a tool to change the world, one diaper at a time. Here's your host, Katie Demota. I'm joined today by Erin Wen. Erin is a local osteopath and she specializes in maternal health and she's with us today to talk a little bit more about pelvic floor wellness something that everyone everyone has a pelvic floor right Erin I believe so yes <laughs> that's the topic for everybody uh so she's we're excited to have you here Erin uh and we're looking forward to getting to know you better and knowing more about all the wonderful services you provide for parents and women and humans locally here to the Nevada County area. Welcome. Thanks, Katie. Yes, super, super happy to be here. I'm honored to be sharing some knowledge and education. So hopefully it's nice information for moms that just went through pregnancy or all women in general. Mm -hmm. Um, So looking forward to see yeah. us in the next Yeah, we're glad you're here. Erin, we would love a very specific general answer, which I think is on a lot of people's minds if you want to start off with this one, which is, how do I know I need any pelvic floor help? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, so I'll share a little bit of, of my journey in, in okay. the pelvic floor. I'm so I, I studied osteopathy, which is, you know, pretty in-depth information about every bone and joint and muscle and nervous system about the body. But surprisingly, we didn't go through the pelvic floor so much. So it was only after I graduated and I decided to take a pelvic floor course on my own that I realized, you know, it was a little bit ridiculous that we kind of just skipped through an area. We studied everything outside around it, but we didn't really go in depth with what's going on inside, which as we go on, I'll, I'll talk about the, um, just the importance of having the pelvic floor considered, <laughs> acknowledged. Um, so in terms of answering your question, just because it's this area that let's say, quote unquote, it's a little bit more hidden because you can't see it with the naked eye, a lot of women, as you said, don't know if they have any issues. Mm-hmm. I I have to admit that I do believe every single woman benefits from this kind of work, just in terms, even if you don't have anything physiological in terms of incontinence or anything with your bladder or painful sex or any anything that goes in the miscellaneous category that you don't know if you should go to a gynecologist or someone else so if you know that's one answer if you have anything you know obviously most women who go through pregnancy and are worried about incontinence that's one to seek any kind of help in that area The second one, it's such an area in our body that you can't separate it from its energetic component. Mm -hmm. And every woman that I meet has some sort of trauma there, whether it's, you know, at one end or the other, whether it's abuse or just some energetic trauma. So I think it definitely helps women in that sense. 
And then the third one, even if you're just curious, even if you just want to have an idea of what's going on there, um, I'll be pretty, you know, um, honest and open right now. It, besides going through birth, any other interaction with that area of your body comes through either a pap smear or any gynecological procedures or masturbation or sex, which is very different from having a more like exploration and being like, let's see what's going on there. Let's see if this is maybe affecting other parts in your body and maybe it can open up other things in your body as well. So everyone benefits from it. Exactly. Everyone has a pelvic floor and everyone has a story. Yeah, definitely. Can you walk us through some of those examples of the energetic? I'm just curious about that. Like, okay, there's the pelvic floor, there's the muscles, there's how that's formed, but then there's the energy. Can you share a little bit more about that? Um, I think my answer will be, again, very subjective because anything energetical is not so black and white. Um, I think the energetic, and as I say this, I also acknowledge that it's hard to separate, again, the, the sensory part with the emotional energetic part. So with energy, I come, I think there's something to do with holding and guarding. So whether you've had trauma that maybe started 10, 15 years ago, and there's still uh, either a, a silent or a very loud residue of, of holding, and I think that becomes energetic, right? It changes on the physiological and anatomical level, the, the way that you present yourself to the people around you, right? Maybe it changes the way that you walk. Maybe it changes the way that you express yourself. I, uh, this is also a side story. <laughs> but when I did my pelvic floor course, we were, I think, 10 or 12 women. We had two days off. And in those two days off, we, we could go around town and go to restaurants. On that first day off, we went just normal out to a restaurant. Three different people complimented us randomly. Like three people, would, they would just come to the street and stop us and be like, you guys, you guys look beautiful. You're gorgeous. And then it happened another time and another time. Just people that we didn't know were like, wow, there's something <laughs> with receiving a lot of pelvic floor. So that's the energetic part, right? If we, if we dive deeper into, I've, I've studied with women that, you know, Kimonami is a, is a big one on, on social media. She's very out there. She's very wild. She curses. She's like saying all these things. She's against all these theories and she says that you know when you work with your pelvic floor and you awaken it you make money <laughs> everything that you want in life so anything so you know I know where I wanted to you know osteopathy focus on the anatomy but since you asked Katie yeah I think the energetic part you know they say women on our pelvic floors we are beyond powerful and then on the other side that's why it's such a mysterious area because it was a way of kind of like shutting down women and not let them evolve. So, you know, whatever you believe that can be the mystical answer, energetic answer. I love that. I love the win, win, win. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing your experience. I can't imagine how wonderful it would be to sit 
with a group of women over a series of days really focusing on such a powerful place in our bodies that yes awesome. it is I, I think I, I don't know if it's because I surround myself with this topic but I really do think there's a and I think all of you who are here and I'm sure you Katie you you've been in this business longer than I have there's there's a shift in what's going on in women's health and women's consciousness where we're talking about it more we're we're being brave to speak out and up and and it's beautiful I hope it's a yes hope it's ascending me too that's why we're glad you're here <laughs> I love these conversations at the nest yeah. <laughs> well share more with us about maybe the physical experience what can we expect what sort of things um, might a woman be tuning into physically where your care would benefit their experience? Um, well, I, I wanted to, I, I know maybe most of the women who are hearing this are familiar with the pelvic floor and, and how it is, but I, I did want to just mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about the anatomy and, and mm -hmm. start with that just to... Yes just to kind of bring a, a basis without going too deep in, you know, muscles and where they start and okay. everything. Um, so I'll start to kind of talk, start talking about the diaphragm as well, because obviously we hear about our traditional diaphragm, right, right underneath or underneath our rib cage. Mm -hmm. um, and then many people refer to the pelvic floor as the pelvic bowl or the pelvic diaphragm. And I just, if you don't, I wish I had a full skeleton, but you know, for those of you who are, are looking at the video, they're very similar, right? So we have the diaphragm that I always say that it's like an upside or an umbrella. It's not upside down underneath a rib cage. And then we have our pelvic bowl, which is really just a bowl, which is interesting to see uh, a model like this without the muscles, because when you take out the muscles, you realize how much empty space there is underneath there and how much this is supporting our whole torso, right? which comes with all of our organs and, you know, other muscles and all these layers of tissue that add weight. So this is, it's such a sensitive and such a, just an important part of our bodies. Um, the pelvic floor muscle is composed mainly of three muscles. That's not to say all of them, but the main ones. So we have the levator ani or ani, depending on where you study. Um, I won't go too in depth with, you know, I don't think you need to memorize this, but if you ever look at them, the name kind of tells you where it starts and ends. So we have one that's called pubo rectalis, which is super interesting because it's a muscle that goes from your pubic bone and it goes to your rectum, but it's it's like a sling. It goes around your rectum. So it's not only supporting your rectum, but if we dive deeper, it has an effect on how your rectum functions. Um, I also got attracted to, to pelvic floor because of more digestive issues. And this is all connected, right? If you have a history of constipation, you have a history of straining on the toilet, which means that you might have a tight pubo rectalis, which is gonna affect your pelvic floor, which is going to affect in the long run how your uterus sits on your pelvic floor. So it's, I, I think one of the, 
my, my I, I appreciate so much that I studied osteopathy, even though they didn't talk about pelvic floor, but because we looked at the integration of all body parts. So it's never looking at, oh, just this one thing. It's like, oh, what is that connected to? And what can that connect to? And then what does that lead to? So it's always, um, it's always a puzzle and you're trying to figure it out. So I, I really like to mention puborectalis because I think we don't think enough about how our reproductive system is connected to our digestive system and not only up here, like in our belly, but down there in our pelvic bowl. Um, and then we have muscles around that, you know, are connected to our actual pelvis that are connected to, you know, our sacrum and our pubic bone. And talking about anatomy, all these have a big role on other pain, such as hip pain or low back pain. Um, as the, the world of women's health is growing, there's been more studies about the correlation between low back pain and pelvic floor. And I was actually just hearing a podcast yesterday. There's a really nice podcast on Spotify. I think it's called The Pelvic Project and they invite a lot of people. Um, but they did a study about just correlations between if you have low back pain, they're, they're trying to find ways in which they can be like, oh, if you have this, maybe you have that, or maybe if you have this. So they did a correlation between low back pain, obesity, and physical activity correlated to pelvic floor issues. And the one that had the most correlation was low back pain. So talking to therapists, like other PTs that I know are in the nest or chiropractors, it's important to talk about that and open that conversation because as we know, it's a hush-hush topic and you only feel comfortable talking about it. So maybe you see someone for your low back pain, but you're not telling them about your slight bladder incontinence. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is connected. You know, and, and I think it's also important for therapists both ways, right? For clients to know and therapists to know because, because they are connected. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, how interesting to kind of think, and we see this a lot with baby bodies, right? I've worked with a lot of PTs that work with babies and it's so interesting when they tell me, oh, what's going on in the jaw is replicating what's going on in the lower body. And I think, huh, that's so fascinating. So this is also really interesting to take what we know. Obviously, what we know about baby bodies would translate to bigger bodies too. And so important to be looking at the whole picture, Erin. I love that. Like really hoping to encourage everyone to be sharing the whole picture with whoever you're talking to for, 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 for care. And, yeah. and sorry, just remember the other correlation with pelvic floor dysfunction was breathing dysfunction ah. going back to you know how you breathe or yeah. how you don't breathe and how that's connected to movement mm -hmm. on your pelvic floor as well it's just interesting because you know obviously if you have someone who's a little bit heavier and when you go through pregnancy you gain weight and you you think oh weight gain and obesity they're con they're they're connected to pelvic floor, but you know, in this study, they found that no breathing disorders and low back pain are actually more connected to pelvic floor dysfunction than obesity. So cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Of course. So, I hope that's helpful to everyone listening. You're tuning into your whole body and really taking an assessment of all your symptoms and bringing those together. Yeah. I, I always like to, you know, people come to me. I obviously I work with women, but I also work with general musculoskeletal things. And and we are we we get very stuck with where we feel sensation. Mm-hmm. You know, we someone comes to me for shoulder pain, they just really want to know what's going on inside their shoulder and they can go crazy going to scans and, you know, it hurts right here or it's right here. And then sometimes it's there and that is important, but we have to, you know, take a step back and look at the surrounding areas, look at what's above, what's below, what's underneath. Um, I think there's more healing not always, but 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 I think healing begins when we actually now you got the pain signal, which is focusing in. Now you can focus out again and and going back to the energetic and start to look at all that, right? The the psychosomatic part, uh, um, yeah, all the other factors. Mm-hmm. We're all connected. <laughs> yeah, we are literally. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I think it's super important. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, again, without going too deep into the anatomy, but but also just help people understand how you can work with your pelvic floor by by looking at structures around. Um, So when we think about any kind of muscle or any joint, you also wanna think about its innervation. Innervation just means nerve supply. And just a quick little lesson on anatomy, but our our spine is very important, right? Because our spine is is really the, the, the source of where all the information that we receive in our brain comes from. So from every vertebra, that's where a little nerve and a little artery comes out from. And most likely it's going to innervate whatever is in front. So for example, the lungs that are in your upper chest. So the innervation of your lungs is gonna come from your thoracic spine around those levels. It's not always black and white like this. There are some nerves that kind of travel long and far. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also many nerves that sometimes convert into one. So a very common one that we hear is sciatic, right? But when we think about the sciatic nerve, you wanna think about where the sciatic nerve comes from. So the roots. And, and you want to think about this because there are certain body parts that we maybe can't touch with the hand because they might be deeper, but then you think, oh, where do they go and where do they come from? And maybe we can tap into that. So going back to the pelvic floor and thinking about these muscles and thinking about the, all the organs, your uterus, your cervix, your ovaries, we're thinking um, these organs, they have parasympathetic and sympathetic innervation. Um, that just means that there's some voluntary movements, there's some involuntary movement. And these come, the sympathetic innervation comes from our lumbar spine. We have five vertebrae in our lumbar spine. So just to share this, because 
again, you can work on your lumbar spine and you can work on mobility and whether it's strengthening or stretching, whatever that part of your body needs. And then you're indirectly affecting or working on your pelvic floor. So even just, you know, putting or asking your partner or someone if you're having cramps or you're having even incontinence, anything to just have someone put pressure on either side of your lumbar spine, just to kind of send different information to that nerve, just to, you know, keep that nerve communicating well and, um, and yeah, because maybe you don't, you know, you're at home and you can't do self pelvic floor to yourself. So these are just things you can work on moving your hips a little bit. You can work on moving your sacrum. All these have an effect not only on the area that you're moving, but on an indirect effect on the areas that it's innervating. If that makes sense, it's not too confusing. Just to clarify, exactly where? Would you put pressure? Does it matter? Does it need to be exact or specific? If you want to be specific, um, the uterus and the cervix, the sympathetic innervation comes from L2 and L4. So this one doesn't reach, but um, but let's just, for example, just say that this is L2, L4. You always want to go, the, the spinous process is where you feel your, your middle. So you want to go on either side mm-hmm. of the spinous process because technically and again these things it's one thing to look at a model and and remember that when it's in a human body humans cannot be you know you can't dissect a live human so all dissections that have done are are on you know people who have passed and they they spoken a lot that it doesn't translate entirely because it's very different a live body than one that has gone so you want to you know don't don't be so specific on like it has to be here but if you try to be specific go on either side of your of your spinous process because you're kind of thinking that the nerve and the artery comes from between the joints mm-hmm. and you just want to hold pressure anywhere from two to five minutes mm-hmm. And you can do that, you know, two or three times, however you feel. And if you want to go on each section, then you're going to your L2, which would be a little bit higher, to your L4. The the parasympathetic innervation of all these organs, it's lower, it's on your sacrum. So even though the sacrum is fused, you still have, you know, levels. So sacrum is S2 to S4. So for the sacrum, what I usually do, even if you just want to cup someone's sacrum and just move it a little bit up and down and side to side just kind of massage the sides of the sacrum um i think that's really beneficial there you go how to get your partner involved (laughs) them cup your sacrum yes (laughs) that might lead to something could lead to more fun And then obviously, you know, it's cupping, but there's also depending on what people need, you know, sometimes there's like cupping, but like, like kind of tapping techniques. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, I don't want to use the word slap, but I don't know what other, like you're that's kind fun of, too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you do that. And that's more, you know, if for some reason that area is feeling a bit lethargic, maybe, uh-huh. maybe you are dealing with constipation that's affecting. So maybe you want to do something that's more stimulating. Uh-huh rather than relaxing. 
Thank you. Tell us more what we can do at home to support our body. Um, well, I guess a big part of this, this podcast is actually getting a little bit deeper into pelvic floor, right? And, and mm-hmm. pelvic floor, um, what can we do to strengthen or to relax our pelvic floor? So um, I guess it's a good time to go into that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'll start off by saying that, again, probably many people who are listening to this or are here now, there's the, the more recent conversation is not strengthening your pelvic floor, but it's relaxing your pelvic floor, right? There's been a lot of um, kind of bad talk about Kegel exercises now. And, and it's, it's interesting because I really think that the, the human body, we keep learning more and more. And, and you, if you study, you just need to stay up to date with, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on. Um, so I think the, the bad rep that Kegel exercises are getting is because many women already have a very guarded and strong pelvic floor, whether it's from being overactive, um, you know, you're maybe already an athlete or, or you have no idea what you're doing and you're just kind of like squeezing all the time and you're not releasing. So, so that on the other side, the, um, the story is that we also need to learn how to relax, right? We need to squeeze and engage those muscles if that's what they need and we can go into that after um but also learning to soften and which makes sense right because if we think about any part of our bodies you know bicep is a good one if you go to the gym and you work your bicep it's not that you stop working and you're still like engaging your bicep you we just naturally relax it but i think because the pelvic floor is a muscle that doesn't we don't grow learning about it. It's a little bit more confusing. You're, you like don't even know if you're like actually squeezing. You don't know if you're relaxing. You, you're not really sure you feel something. They tell you to pretend like you're trying to not pee. So this is how you do it. Um, so I'll, I'll share something that I, I do with my clients just with breathing. So going back to, I'll use this just as pelvic floor and just imagine that you know, your diaphragm is on top. So they move, they both move together, right? When you inhale, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor go down. Um, If this is hard to remember, you just want to remember that if you're inflating your belly, you want to lower your diaphragm so that there's more space to inflate your belly. And then when you exhale, they both go up again. So you pull your belly in, your diaphragm hides under your rib cage, and your pelvic floor does a little pull. So technically, if we're breathing fully with our whole body, the pelvic floor is moving even while we're breathing. But again, there's a lot of structures in, around, between that change what it does. So at the beginning, if you're not very familiar with your pelvic floor, when we do this breathing and right at the bottom of the exhale, I just tell people, focus on your pubic bone, your coccyx, and your perineum, right at the bottom. Just just think about those three points and see what you feel. I think most of us are able to find a place that you're like, oh, I I do feel like there's a little bit of of a pulling up. 
And then from that pulling up, if you just want to do a few, just again, thinking about pubic bone, perineum, and coccyx. Just feel like those three points are kind of pulling up towards you. If you can get that subtle sensation, then start to work towards, okay, I'm going to squeeze. But when I work with clients, I place one hand on their core and I tell them, try to still take a normal breath. Because that's where I think Kegel exercises have also gotten a bad rep because we learn how to engage our core muscles more than we do our pelvic floor. And then sometimes we, we overcompensate. So then our core is really strong, but then our pelvic floor is still not functioning well. So this is, this is great information for someone who doesn't know anything about pelvic floor and you're starting to do pelvic floor, get your core out of the out of the picture. It's core is important, but you don't want to keep everything super tight. And then the next thing is obviously when you inhale, release that, right? Don't, don't hold on, don't keep squeezing onto your pelvic floor. Um, that's self-work. That's um, something that you can do at home. I think the world of whether you're a physical therapist who does pelvic floor or an osteopath as myself, to just go to someone who's knowledgeable in this area and get checked inside whether you're doing it correct or not. Um, I, I always shared the story that when I learned was it was a huge stepping stone when I learned because I was working with a woman and I had my fingers inside her vagina and she had been a mom. She had been pregnant twice, I think. And I asked her to squeeze her pelvic floor muscles and she squeezed and I felt nothing. And it was the first time that had ever happened. And, you know, I need to act like, oh, it's all good. <laughs> so I asked her to squeeze again and I couldn't feel anything. So she was thinking that she was engaging her pelvic floor, but she was using completely different muscles. And then on the other side, I also have women that come and they're like, I don't know what my pelvic floor is. And I ask them to squeeze and they totally have good control of their pelvic floor. I'm like, you're, you're good. You, you know, you have this. So as this world of women's health is growing and if you have someone in your area, and I do have other women who are in other states, if anyone uh, wants to ask, I, I do think it's important to check with someone internally, you know, just to be like, oh, are, are these muscles firing up correctly? And, and the general rule is that if you have any areas that are very tender inside, that kind of just feel like a knot, just like how a knot would feel in your shoulder, it does mean that your muscles are a little bit more hypertonic, like they're very strong and they're holding on and, and you need to work more on releasing. So it's, it's not so black and white. It is the woman's body is so unique and it's so unique inside as well in terms of what's going on on the right side, what's going on on the left side, what's going on outside. How's your uterus sitting? How has been your history with sexual partners? So it's, you need to, you need to get educated and try to figure out what is my pelvic floor? What, what am I going through? What are, is it too strong? Is it too weak? Do I need to strengthen? Do I need to relax? Um, going back to your initial question, Katie, like, oh, how do I know if I need pelvic floor work? It's, 
it's an investigation. It's and sometimes we're very knowledgeable and we can do it ourselves. And other times we need help and just have an idea of like, oh, is this happening because of that or the other? So um, it's complex, but but it's also not. I, I don't want complex to sound a word like a scary word, like, oh, it's complex. I'm just not gonna deal with it. It's it's just a journey again, because it's one of the few parts in our bodies that is accessible, but it's internal. Mm -hmm. So it, that's what just makes it a little bit more tricky that I can't just use a ball to massage my shoulder and I can feel it. It's just a little bit more tricky. There's courses that I've gone to, you know, they they talk about the, you know, even if you wanna use a vibrator or if you wanna use a wand to self-massage, but once you know what needs to be massaged, I think if you start from the beginning with a wand or a vibrator, it's it's not your hand, it's not touch. So you're you're not sure. You're not really sure. Oh, is this what I need to massage? So yeah, there there's tons of information out there, but communicating with someone that can really just be down to earth and tell you, okay, I think this might be a little bit tighter. Oh, this side is a little bit softer. Mm -hmm. Has has a lot of power. I love that we're normalizing that to really be working together with someone because I think it's just been not talked about, not encouraged and kind of taboo or, you know, mystifying, which is crazy. This is a part of our, a very essential part of our body that really should yeah. be. And, and especially, you know, I'm so privileged to be to be working in this community, but I do have to admit that I, I always realize that we are a certain kind of woman if I want to say a population and then you know I I did a lot of work in Guatemala that's where I started my women's work with um, a birth center with with women who were very you know very simple like just basic resources and in Mexico and there's so many of these women who just really don't know anything about their bodies. You know, I, I, I heard so many stories. Again, I'll share a story because this one is always in my head. I remember there was a, not so much about the pelvic floor, but I think you will find interesting. Um, she was in her 50s and she had a new partner. I think her, I think her first partner, actually. So she had lost her virginity with him. And she was coming into the center because she said that her partner told her that there was something wrong with her. There was something wrong with her because every time that they had sex, she found it painful. And he said, I've never had this with any other woman and you are the problem and you need to go get her, go get yourself checked. So this woman comes into the center, first of all, not even knowing if anything is wrong, but just because someone told her that something is wrong. And we had to sit her down and explain to her, on top of what you're going through, you're a woman in your 50s, you just lost your virginity, and you're going through menopause. So things are changing inside. So it's just about educating these women. And I, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, being in my 60s and 70s, and, and just this information is opening up, you know, what one of my first clients was also a woman in her probably closer to 70s and she had never received internal work before so it was so humbling for her but she had also had one breast removed full hysterectomy so I was working on a woman who had lost so much of what she believed is her womanhood you know after we finished 
she told me that her, you know, her brothers and her uncles, they, there's a saying in Spanish, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's like, oh, if you're, if you're missing those parts, if you have a hysterectomy, you have, um, you're just a bad character, like you mm -hmm. have bad mood. So how can you tell this to someone who has had their organs removed? And it's not like I can just go put another one in, you know, and, and again, Katie, this goes back again to the energetic, to the trauma mm -hmm. of we are a certain type of woman again because we are privileged and i know most of you are in california and we're a little bit more in open places where people share these things but it's important as this woman's health world grows that we as women also just talk with each other and share with each other it's it's so special and and i know many of you here are moms i, I haven't been pregnant yet and just to share this information with other moms and yeah, it's it's very valuable. Powerful. Important. Yeah. yeah. That's why we're here at the nest, but it is wonderful to remember how important it is to share what we're talking about with more and more people. Um, we carry so much in our bodies as women and in our pelvic floor. Yes. So really key to be tuning in and connecting to that. I've read I feel grateful because I've been reading about it since I was a teen, about the power of our body and about where we store information and, and how to access that and how to stay tuned in, moving things through. But yeah, it's so great that there are people like you in this world who can meet us at this place in our body and help us understand the story and help us move that story or where we're holding or where we're not holding how to move that through so i'm just really grateful for folks yeah. like you who are who are here to help us understand more and I, and i do think there's you know just because we mentioned that it's such a you know there's a physiological component and the emotional component to to work with both i think right. i mean in general i i think any kind of therapy it's never just one thing fixes everything it's mm -hmm. always multi you know it, it involves many so but I, I i do think in terms of energy it's important but it's also such a sensitive part in our bodies yeah. that that you know you can't just disregard the the actual physical components the muscles the joints the nerves yes they're all working together you talked to us about um holding or squeezing can you talk just a tiny bit more about resting what if someone is hypertonic and really great at holding what are some things that you can think about for the opposite effect in your mind to relax i know that might seem obvious but someone might not even know they're holding yeah i think the easiest for for these people who have a little bit of of a challenge releasing is, is to understand the opposite. So even if they're already, you know, if they're even if they're already hypertonic and it's not like you're going to tell them, okay, keep squeezing. For for practice sake, it's it's okay to just re-squeeze. And then if you squeeze and then then you know the opposite. I know it sounds very simple. I wish I had a better <laughs> idea, but but different things work for everyone. So even if you want to visualize, you know, you can visualize. Um, so let's say we're inhaling 
right? So when we're inhaling, if you think about your abdomen, you wanna, I always say a balloon or something that grows. So you're, you're inhaling and then when you exhale, you squeeze, but, but when you, when you let, cause I'm doing it and I'm saying, <laughs> but when you, when you let go, I don't like using the, the symbol of like, imagine as if you're letting go of urine, but it is that, right? It's like you, and they, and they also tell you, this is another thing that, that to not try when you're in the toilet because it can lead to UTIs or, but I, I do think, and maybe I'll, someone will reach out to me and <laughs> tell me wrong, but I do think even if you just do it once a day, it's not going to do anything. So if you just want to, for those people that you're saying, if you just want to practice squeezing and letting go when you're actually peeing, urinating once a day, not a lot, just to, just to feel that release. Mm -hmm. Um, but but it's a lot of just because I teach yoga and movement, I, I feel like it's really connected to two things, breathing and just giving yourself enough time to not do anything. Because I can tell this to someone who's who is hypertonic, but I bet that when they do it at home, it's just really like, a, you know, they just tried for a minute or two and they're like, ah, I can't do it. So really, even if it just means laying on the floor for 10 to 15 minutes and breathing, that's how your body learns. It, it takes time, but, but time is important. So you need to take time to learn how to relax. And that means actual minutes and not just like theory, just like, oh, I can't relax in my head. So I can't relax in my body, but we our our bodies are our minds are very fast to learn our bodies take longer so even if you lay on the floor for 15 minutes breathing and you feel like your mind is not relaxed i i do believe that eventually your body will will start to teach your mind let's start is, learning is there such a thing as a pelvic floor meditation out there in the world i bet there is <laughs> i'm gonna look at I, I haven't looked, but I'm, I'm sure there is. And I'm sure it involves a lot of what we're talking, squeezing. And, the, and probably my intuition tells me that if you're having a hard time letting go is spending more, you squeeze maybe for one, you know, seconds, but then your letting go is longer. Just like when we breathe, right? Our exhales are usually longer we, or we want to try to make them longer. So there's, I'm sure there's something with that. Ryan, do you, you unmuted, Ryan, you want to add? Yeah, so it's not a specific pelvic floor meditation, but I've been doing, you know, for all of us moms who are, you know, napping with our baby or putting our baby down, it's a kind of forced time for us to lay there. And I've been using that time to listen to um, just a breathing meditation. And that's when I do like my, you know, squeezing and relaxing. Um, and it's just a, it's called a box breathing. It's not, it's just a meditation on Spotify, like a four second inhale, four second, hold four second exhale. And then it, it goes up. Um, but I find that that's a good time to do it. It's when, you know, we're putting our babies down because we're laying there anyways. Mm -hmm. um, but that seems to help. But I do find that like the relaxing is the hardest part. You know, like you said, Emily, like we are all teach to like, you know, tighten, tighten, tighten. Um, when 
like whenever I got checked, my problem is I'm super tight, especially on one side. And I had an injury when I was pregnant. I fell like just onto my bottom, just a ground level fall. Mm-hmm. And I had this extreme pain, like right on the, I couldn't, it's like hard to explain where it was, but it was like literally on the inside, like of my vagina. If, if you could like stick your finger in and touch it, that's where it was. Mm-hmm. And almost, it almost felt like it was my, like, like my sits bone, but it was just in there somewhere in my pelvic floor. And then it turns out like it was painful the whole time. And then I gave birth and then that's the spot that hurts. Like with sex is that spot that I fell and it's just super tight. And so the, the relaxing, at least for me is, you know, the hardest part and just being in connection with that. And like you, you mentioned with yoga, like my hips have always been the tightest part of everything. And I feel like it, it goes back to that, you know, energy field and like where you're holding, um, you know, and it just plays a big part. Like same with, you know, I deal, dealt with sciatica my whole pregnancy and SI joint dysfunction and all of that. So it's just really fascinating how it's all connected and, you know, you, those parts get skipped over when they're really like the most vital parts to know about. Um, so appreciate you. Yeah. 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 Thanks for sharing. And I, I think, you know, when you said, I, I thought of two things like, because you fell when you were pregnant. So immediately there's that guarding and protection, right? Because you're going to prioritize your baby. So you're going to take care of that. And then as we're talking about relaxing, I also do want to emphasize that yes relaxing is key but in your case that you do have like a specific point that might be similar to a trigger point that you do want to get some manual work there because we're talking about relaxing and squeezing but more the muscles in itself right but then depending on our lifestyle and what you said hips we also develop trigger points inside And yes, you can do a lot of relaxing to release knots and visualization, but obviously it helps when you go get a massage that I'm sure we all have and they like really try to release that knot, right? So so there's those two things, right? So relaxing, but also getting some manual work that will help you tune into that part and help you relax that part even more. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. We did have a question while we're talking about muscles for how many muscles are considered the pelvic floor? Did you have an answer? Yeah, I think who who asked was that she came, yeah, Sherilyn, I thought mm-hmm. maybe she came. The, the true, true muscles, my understanding is that it's three. It's the levator ani, which is divided in two, um, the puborectalis and pubococcygeus that I, I don't know at what time you came, Sherilyn, but I, I mentioned that they, they really, the, the name gives you an idea of where they go. So before we mentioned puborectalis, which goes from your pubic bone around your rectum, but just to speak about another one, pubococcygeus just means that it goes from your pubic bone to your coccyx and it's a little bit more lateral. And then we have iliococcygeus, which is from your, what we usually call the sit bone. So it's your 
your ischial spine, which is your sit bone, and then to your coccyx. So those are the main three, but I believe that if we get into more these, right, like your hip muscles and here and around, some people say that there's 13, but the main three are those. Those are considered your, your pelvic floor, your pelvic floor bowl. Pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when you see it like that, you really, you know, just going back to what we were saying, how, how it is so interconnected to your hip and your, like, it's all right here. They're all right next to each other. Like this, we have muscles, this is your obturator form and we have muscles inside of the obturator form and outside they, they have a control of your hip rotations. It's, it's right there. It's right next to your pelvic floor. So, you know, going a little bit wider, there might be some women who don't want to receive internal pelvic floor. And you need to respect that as a therapist and understand it and it's okay, but look how much you can do around it. You can work on their lower spine, you can work on their hip, you can work on their adductors, you can work a little bit around their pubic bone. So yes, it doesn't have to be um, internal work necessarily. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Is there anywhere, we have just a few more minutes here. Are there any more points that you want to make sure we cover while we have you here? And if anyone here joining us has a question, please feel free to chat. I guess as I, I'm reading my notes, I, I if any of you are diving into this world of of strengthening or, or relaxing your pelvic floor, just have, don't be so, I think we get very obsessed that it has to be one way or we need to, you know, do it like this or we're gonna hurt this part of our bodies. And I, and I just want to just on a general body education that have, have this trust that your body is strong enough and your body is resilient. And even if we've gone through trauma or it's an area that you haven't paid attention to, our bodies are always in this learning mode. So even if you learn something, quote unquote, the wrong way, like you're like working on your pelvic floor, but your core is also really strong. It, you can, you know, you can still relearn different things, add new things. But yeah, the core and the pelvic floor thing is, is a topic. I don't want people to think that oh, I'm going to work on my pelvic floor. So my core needs to be super strong and my core needs to be really strong to protect my spine. Like, yes, it needs to be strong, but we're meant to be agile. We're, we're meant to be functional. We're not meant to like move like robots and have everything like super tight. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that clarification and sharing that's an important message in the world where things feel the opposite of that sometimes the messaging that's being shared in my opinion sometimes feel like core is so essential and that we have to work hard yeah, I appreciate that message I think we have a question about urgent contents mm -hmm. yeah bladder is um Again, I, I say complex just at the beginning, just to take some physiological things out. Um, 
you want to think about what is going on, right? Whether you're going through a little bladder prolapse, is it from weight, not of, you know, okay, maybe you are a little bit heavier, but also of organs or things with your urethra. Um, obviously women, we have a shorter urethra. That's why we're more prone to UTIs, but just amongst women, we probably all have different lengths. And then that has a lot of effect just at the opening of your vagina. So when we think about not even going inside, just the vulva, we can develop, and I we didn't speak about this, Katie, so I'm happy to talk a little bit about just the vulva, but just a, a simple, like having an assessment of how your your lips, your major lips and your minor lips sit and everything around it and just the opening of your vagina. There can be, just like how there can be tight fascia in different parts of the body, there can also be tight fascia there. And there's a lot of things with um, incontinence and urethra that might actually be connected to tight fascia just on the urethra mm -hmm. and on sides of the urethra. So you want to that can actually be self-massage because you can just be at the opening and you can just massage a little bit from side to side. Um, other external things, if you want, if we think about fascia and if everything is pulling down, you can do some external, external manipulations where you, it's kind of like a palm tree technique. So you just massage from your pubic bone up mm -hmm. and you just want to pull that, um, the tissues around it up. And even if it's just, if it's a, a bladder prolapse or getting close to a bladder prolapse, it's just that memory of bringing the bladder up. Um, you also wanna think about just lifestyle. Are you spending a lot of time um, sitting and then all the muscles again around that are compensating? Are you, I hate saying this, but are you a runner? You know, like I know there's a lot of runners that go through this and I, never like telling people to do something or stop doing something if they like it but if, if it's leading you to problems you probably do need to you know take a break or something um and with the bladder you technically also can work with it vaginally because it's also right there right so the bladder like get this straight so it's just right underneath your your uterus. So even if you go vaginally, you're you're pretty close to the bladder already. So you just kind of also want to massage those tissues up or just give them that support. There can be a lot of things that you can do, you know, maybe with someone's fingers inside and squeezing. So there's a double effect there of knowing exactly where to squeeze and also encouraging that to go up. Um, I know it's a lot of information, but the last thing that I, I do want to add to that is the, I, I did a lot of, um, when I learned, we did a lot of techniques with the, the yoga banda, the Uriana banda, when you kind of pull your belly up. So you either do that at the same time, or you just practice that. And then after you do that, you just lay on your belly, maybe with something underneath your belly for a few minutes. So there's there's different things that you can do. And I think a lot of them can be efficient, but it requires discipline also. <laughs> like you need to actually do it. Erin, <laughs> I think that's the first time I've really understood why incontinence and bladder issues can come with 
pregnancy. Well, that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. I mean, I understand why, but having you walk us through the the fascia and how, I mean, you're having a baby. So everything has tightened as you have a baby, right? And so post-birth, it <laughs> makes sense then that some of those things might be tight, the, the area around the vulva might be tight and be pulling and therefore causing this urge constant con- incontinence that's so helpful. I really appreciate that. I had, I yeah. had a moment there, obviously. Yeah. And I, and then the, I, I always say this and I do want to say before I say it, that I mean this in the most beautiful sense that pregnancy is the most beautiful life-changing traumatic event, just because it, we have nine months or 40 weeks, however you're pregnant, but it's still a fast time to go through all these physiological changes and all uh-huh. organs and pelvic floor. And, and if you have multiple pregnancies, it, it you know, you, it changes things internally. Totally. So it, it's important, you know, as we know, when we deal with health, whatever you're going through, whether it's pregnancy or a change in work or something, it matters how you take care of yourself prior to that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think, I know everyone is different, but I, I do I do believe that if you were somewhat active and somewhat aware before your pregnancy, hopefully, you know, you'll keep some of that after your pregnancy. Well, I hope this has been really helpful for those who are, you know, everyone usually listening to our podcast has had a baby or been pregnant. And so really putting our pelvic floor, you know, understanding how everything shifts and how it comes together. I hope this has been really helpful and understanding what sensations you might be having either in pregnancy or postpartum. And remember, postpartum is forever, ladies, (laughs) not just six weeks. It's forever postpartum, how things maybe have come back together or not come back together and how we can kind of approach supporting the body in such a holistic way. Erin, tell us how folks can find you those who are in the Nevada County-ish area? I I believe all my information is updated in your website, mm-hmm. um, Katie. So I believe my website should be there, which is just mm-hmm. my full name, Erin Wen. Last name is W-E-N, erinwen.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number is there. My email is there. Those are the best ways to reach out to me. I'm trying to be more active on Instagram, so you can find me there also. But I, I believe that what the nest has all the information. Okay. We'll make sure your contact information is linked with the recording. I just wasn't sure if you wanted to add more or if there were other ways you say you teach yoga, where can we find you if we want to do yoga together? I teach at sweat yoga studios and at yoga dive yoga dive is um, there's it's, you know, regular temperature sweat is a heated yoga studio. So I, I understand if some people don't like the heated studios, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's where I teach. Great. Well, hopefully some folks will come and see you and yeah. do yoga together and find you online. Thank you for taking your time today, Erin. It was lovely to sit together. Thank you for your work. I think it'll take all of us to continue these conversations to support each of us to tune into our bodies even better. Yes, I love it. I'm all up for it. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to The Nest on Tap. For more talks about pregnancy and parenting, visit us online at thenestfamilyresource.com, on Facebook at The Nest 
childbirth, postpartum, and parenting, and on Instagram at thenest.nc.